With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before you listen to this podcast, be aware this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humor at nightstory.com. Or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Don't I sound great today, listeners? It's <laughs> mm, wonderful. That's why Jeanette's going to handle most of this for us. Because when I speak, it feels like pain. <laughs> That's the best description. So let's see. Um, doing my math, which I'm not very good at whenever I'm sick. Let's see. We did 401, 402, 403. So this would be episode number 404. Nice. 404. How exciting. Yeah. Nice. Isn't that like a... A thing like whenever you can't find something on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> 404. So 404. Uh, where's your voice? That's right. Four, <laughs> my voice is 404. Unfortunately. Error. Error. Host Error. voice 404. Please try again. Correct. <laughs> so today we have Nick Kazina in the studio, and. Nick is a podcaster, filmmaker. I'm assuming a writer as well. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else do you do? Or should I ask you what you don't do? <laughs> um, it's mostly like podcasting, filmmaking, which entails uh, directing, writing, and producing. Awesome. Jeanette is also um, a filmmaker <laughs> and a writer and an artist. See, so this is great because that world's a little bit alien to me. At least the filmmaking. I mean, the best I've done is. Um, I, I supported a film. Uh, I, I was, uh, I guess, technically uh, an executive producer for a film called The Other Side, okay. uh, which we made here in Pittsburgh. And uh, that just means I put money in. <laughs> and and I cooked for, I cooked for the uh, for the crew and the and the cast one night. Crafty's so. a big deal. That's, Don't underplay that. Yeah, it is. That's really important. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody was happy and they enjoyed it. So, you know, that's good. Um. Yeah, so today I thought what we would do is we would delve into the story of making film. And I know that you have a Kickstarter coming up. Ooh. Yes, uh, on Or April. Indiegogo. Indiegogo, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing. I, I just had a friend who did a Kickstarter. I'm kind of beholden to Indiegogo. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us why? 
one is better than the other. Um, I think it actually it, the like the short basic answer is because you get money no matter what. As long as you've raised a dollar, you get a portion of that dollar. Yes. Um, whereas the bigger problem I think with Kickstarter is, um, though I love her, Amanda Palmer, and people like Zach Braff, I think kind of ruin Kickstarter. Yeah. Because like they're the ones that bring all like. I, I feel like there's like this overall thought process that like Kickstarter's for big things. So people only kind of pay attention to yeah. Kickstarter for big things, which I feel like might be the reason why Indiegogo started in the first place. I like Indiegogo. Yeah, I do. Too. I like the fact that if you raise some money, I mean, you should get yeah. it, I'm, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's like, why don't you get your Kickstarter money <clears throat> or a portion? Even if they were just like, okay, you raised $5,000 out of 10000 you were trying for, here's 2500 yeah, something. Right. right. Well, I think part of why that is, is because like with the idea of Kickstarter being for big things, like if you get out of the creative world, you're suddenly into technology and like research and things like that, where if you don't have the full uh, funding, you literally can't make the project or the product. That's true. Um, whereas like if it's a film and you get 10 bucks, you're like, "Woo, 10 bucks. I'm totally doing that. And then you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy everyone water. Yes! It's great. Yeah. Success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and my hope is that our friend Mark Nixon gets his project funded. He's on Kickstarter with an anthology. Um, and I think that that's a situation where he has a lot of things that he wants to do and, and paying the narrator, paying the, um, you know, the, the authors, mm-hmm. of course, um, paying for, production costs to make this beautiful book that he wants to make the amount that he was looking for was actually kind of reasonable. It sounds like a lot, but mm-hmm. it makes sense. And you guys know, because you're yeah. in the business. So you know that $10,000 may sound like a lot of money, but it's really not. No. Yeah. It doesn't go. Yeah. No, far. that go, that goes by by very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like his project is one that I think is perfect for the Indiegogo mold because mm-hmm. Even if he only raises four thousand dollars out of the ten thousand, he can still do something. He can yeah. still do the ebook. He can still do the audiobook. He can still do like a print on demand run of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, it's kind of sad if that doesn't get funded. And hopefully, it does. But it's kind of sad that that kind of project gets enough backers that are interested in it to actually make some some progress and may ultimately end up just going. Okay, didn't make any money. And then what happens? Do you start Indiegogo at that point? Because then you're asking all the same people. Yeah. You kind of lost your momentum, right? Yeah. But I mean, I mean, what, what would you recommend in that situation? Because obviously you've done the crowdfunding before, right? Yeah, I did it once. We tried Kickstarter once whenever um, the project that uh, I'm here to talk about um, was a web series. Okay. We tried that and that one over like a Led Zeppelin. Um, so we had to take, I mean, essentially we've taken like five years between the two, I guess we have to like make everyone forget about it. Like he's kind of in a rough spot if he wants to try to get it back, like get that momentum back and going. I mean, I looked at his, his, uh, page and I mean, because of the fact that like Kickstarter, if you don't raise anything, no one has to pay anything. Right. He might be able to get most of those backers back yeah. in that situation. Cause he has a substantial amount of backers. He like, I don't. I think he's he's close-ish, but not yeah. there. So, like, maybe Indiegogo would be a good switch. I mean, I... I yeah, I mean, I think that you have to do it quick, though. Yeah, right? yeah It would yeah. basically be, like, the next day. Hey, guys, look, we didn't make it, but, hey, transfer over to this project, and we'll at least get you the ebook, the yeah. audio book, yeah. 
blah, blah, blah. And you never know. I mean, he may pick up some new funders through that too. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it could only even be like a, like, okay, let's take a deep breath. We're going to go over here. So you guys can get this thing you were looking forward to. Yeah. Well, this is here. We're here to talk about your stuff today, but I just thought that was kind of a tie-in because I've mm-hmm. been curious about you know the balance of the two, and that was kind of the thrust of the show that uh, I did with Mark was you know how do you do a, a good Kickstarter and you know how do you go after these folks? So you know this I think is kind of a, a nice book a nice bookend to that yeah. to, to be you know what, what's the difference between the two? Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeanette, why don't you go ahead? I'll let you start with some of the the first questions. Cool and. And we'll get into the nitty gritty of this fun stuff. Yeah, I am. Um, Nick, I feel like I'm a kindred spirit of yours because of how much you do <laughs> with, <laughs> yeah. with podcasting and filmmaking and music videos and YouTube and like all of the things. I'm interested to know like where your initial drive to make all of this came from. Whenever I was in high school, we made a what is considered a short film, but it was an hour long. Um, about a character that we created called Reverend Drake Frederick. And we um, we started out actually kind of like podcasting. My best friend who I do um, a podcast with, insert movie reference here, um, his dad got a new computer from work and it had a recording mechanism on it. And we're like, oh, look at this. So we did like audio shorts with a character that I did called Reverend Drake Frederick, who's just like, a weird evangelistic preacher who's in it for the money. <laughs> hey, he showed up in uh, one of your shorts too, didn't he? The more yeah. recent ones. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So um, we thought, well, why don't we do this as a movie? And we did it. At, we ch- took the summer and we shot it um, with his high eight camera because I'm old. And um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, because of that, we we're just like, this is fun. Like, I kind of want to do like. I, I got into filmmaking because I didn't want a real job, essentially, is what kind of came down to it. Like, that's that's the origin of it. And then as I got older, I started understanding the nuances of storytelling and um, character and how that kind of stuff influences people as well as comforts them. Um, like, I've always been a huge Star Wars fan, but yeah. my Star Wars fandom really, like, grew uh, after I got like I got dumped out of nowhere. And I just kind of sat in my apartment by myself and just started watching all of the Star Wars movies over and over and over again. And, like, that was the thing that, like, kept me from, like, losing my mind. So, like, storytelling's always had, like, a really important part in me. Yeah, it's it's a powerful way that we communicate our experiences from one person to another. You know, it's so much quicker and and so much more visceral than me sitting down and talking to you for an hour about something. If I can tell you a story in that hour, I can pack three times as much information into it Mm -hmm. and you're going to connect with it in a more personal way. And you're not going to tune me out as I drone on and drone on and drone on. Like we're doing right now. (laughs) It's okay. People love this stuff. It's great. (laughs) Well, the behind the scenes stuff is always fascinating. The story behind the story. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Star Wars was one of the stories you were obsessed with as a child. Were there any more? Or was that like one that you really felt drawn to? Um, Star Wars, uh, Batman. Um, I'm a big Batman, the animated series fan. Oh, you guys are going to get along just fine. Here. <laughs> um, also Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles was actually my first fandom. Uh, that one, like 
got me going into it. And then, like, I liked Spider-Man as a kid, but, like, that one, like, Marvel kind of fell by the wayside a little bit more. Like, Batman spawned me going into, like, DC Comics, and, I like, I'm a bigger DC Comics fan. Like, my three top favorite superheroes are Batman, Green Lantern, and John Constantine. Mm-hmm. Which oh, Constantine, nice. Which you can make the argument that Constantine's not really a superhero, but he lives in that world sort of thing. Yeah. So... He's a, he's a yeah, comic a hero. book hero, but not necessarily yeah. super. But he's supernatural, so doesn't that make him super? Yeah, he's a mage. <laughs> in the New 52, In this, uh, at one point he tricked Shazam into stealing his that powers for an issue. such a great <laughs> issue. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's so damn clever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like his snarkiness a lot. So with some of your current storytelling, I've noticed, uh, at least with like your short films and stuff, you have a lot of humor packed into it. Did yeah. you draw from some of the comic book background and storytelling, or is this just something that you, you as a storyteller, are really obsessed with? Is like having some humor in it. Yeah, I think it's um, a little. Yeah, it, it comes from um, like high school, and all my friends and I, we were all really into comedy, and you know, we made skits and all that kind of stuff. And like, I'm a big proponent of like um, uh, humorous healing. And humor can yeah. get you through a lot of stuff. Like um, the stand-up comedian Chris Titus, Christopher Titus, he has like a lot. If you if you're familiar with his work, like um, his father was an alcoholic, his mother was a manic depressive schizophrenic who killed herself uh, whenever he was like a teenager, wow. and like he turned all that into material, and like that's how he dealt with it. One of his more recent stand-ups is called "Love Is Evil," and it's specifically about his divorce. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. So like that that I've always kind of taken that mentality where it's like humor is the reason why I'm still here. Yeah. So <laughs> um and I guess that's just and I think that's my natural inclination is that I just always find humor in weird shit. Like that's the reason why I went for a really long time I was making a lot of dark comedies just because I, you know, did we're death is the one thing that we all have in common no matter what. So like yeah. you might as well make fun of it. While you yeah. have the chance. <laughs> While you have the chance. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> afterwards, I don't know. Maybe we joke more about it. <laughs> I like to think so. I like to think it doesn't end after death, but I have no idea. So what elements do you think a really great story has? Um, honestly, like I guess probably like the Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey is a really good example of like great elements um like kind of like the whole growing up aspect to um to a storytelling um as well as like story in general i think like i think plot is nowhere near as important as character absolutely um that's and i've if other people have heard me on their podcasts, I've said this a billion times, but like, that's the reason why I'll defend episode seven so much is because like a lot of people will say that like, Oh, episode seven is just a rehashing of episode four. I'm like, well, in the grand scheme of things, even if it is a rehashing, it doesn't particularly matter. It's about the characters. Every Mm -hmm. story has been told a billion and one times. Joseph Campbell proved that because he was able to go through all of the mythos and then boil it down to uh, 12 steps so you can't really sit there then say that there's an original story it's just the way that the characters react to the story and how you use the characters to tell the story yeah. is what makes something interesting yeah, that's a recurring theme on this show i mean i've said many times that we're all telling the same story mm-hmm. over and over again there's i think that 
I mean, technically, they say that there's three variants of, of the of the the big story. Mm-hmm. You know, depending upon who and what you focus on. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really a retelling of all of the same story. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how you put your characters together and how compelling those characters are. Because, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing about any great TV show and any great movie is that even if the movie's not or the or that particular episode or that particular show isn't it may might be a little campy or maybe isn't a hundred percent perfect if I love the characters that's why I'm going to watch the show mm-hmm. you know I mean or, or watch the movie that's why you go back to a second viewing or want a sequel uh, is mm-hmm. because you want to see that character or those characters again yeah there's always something that relates to someone and so like Harry Potter is the same way. Harry Potter is a very specific example because Harry Potter was um, a growing up experience for a lot of people Mm -hmm. because it was written in tandem with, you know, the children that were Harry's age in 1998, whenever Mm -hmm. the, whenever Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, wherever side of the pond you're on um, came out and they all grew up with Harry along the way. And Mm -hmm. that adds that kind of connection. Yeah. I was definitely one of those kids growing up with those books. So I was like, as he grew up and as the books matured, it made sense for me because I was like, oh, this now is a book that I want to read now rather than what book one was. Yeah. Because the character progressed. Yeah. Bloom was really good at that, too. Judy Bloom, right? Yeah. Uh, Was it fourth grade nothing or something? I can't remember the titles, but... I remember those books from whenever I was a kid, so I'm dating myself now. But <laughs> I remember growing up with those, and and the you know the the character the problems changed. You know the mm-hmm. problems were always very specific to that uh, age group. You know, and and one of the uh, folks that I know real well and and is an alum of Wicked Library and has been on Ninth Story before, Jessica McHugh, uh, has written a series of books um you know starting out with a very young character and then you know moving along darla decker as she gets older and older mm-hmm. um and what's interesting and, and a little bit refreshing about that is the problems that she's dealing with are are like the true problems that a child of that age is dealing with not what the parents think the child is dealing with yeah you know so mm-hmm. you know you you get there's a sexual element to things, you know, at a younger age than most parents probably realize that we're starting to, and we remember from being kids, you know, yeah. growing up that, you know, you knew things you, earlier than your parents thought you knew them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether, whether or not you actually acted upon them is something else. But, you know, I like the fact that she recognizes that and she's like, yeah, this is probably uncomfortable for you parents, but here's what is really going on with your child at this particular age. Yeah. So what else you got for us, Jeanette? Well, I was wondering, um, (laughs) with Sinister Dream Productions, when did that get started as it kind of is now? Like, how did it first show Um, up on the scene? It first started in 2004 whenever I started at uh, college. Um, because I'm not, I wanted a production name. Um, cause like, you know, in high school I was very into music. So like, but I'm not musically inclined. I tried playing the guitar and it didn't go over well. Um, (laughs) Um, so like this was my opportunity to have like a band name. So like I got kind of excited about that because I'm not a huge fan of whenever people use their own names for like, you know, like if it was like Nick Kazina Productions. I'm like, eh, it's kind of douchey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like um, at the time I was and still am. I was a huge Nightmare Before Christmas fan. Like I have Jack and Sally tattooed on my arm. And so I wanted Nightmare Productions. So I looked it up and like there was a Nightmare Productions and I'm like, no. Um, so. I kind of sat down uh, one day. I just thought about it. I'm like, well, what is a 
nightmare. It's a sinister dream. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, that works. Sinister dream. I like that. And like, that's what I used all throughout college is all of my stuff was sinister dream productions. And after college, I thought I was going to team up with some other people. Um, but they all just kind of it's film school's weird because mm-hmm. I don't understand how people they get into film school. They go all four years and then they didn't realize that, like, it doesn't stop. Because, like, most of the people that I went to school with just kind of gave up. Um, They were, most of them were done by their senior thesis. Um, So I contemplated, I'm like, all right, because I didn't know if I wanted to keep going with Sinister Dream. And um, I just kind of said, fuck it, let's do it. And um, I started getting, I can swear, right? Oh, absolutely. I I thought so. (laughs) No, keep your fucking mouth clean for this goddamn episode. That's what I thought. Um, So I said, fuck it. And um, I just kind of started getting my friends because I this thing happened where we all, all of my friends that I hung out with in high school when I was younger, and a good bit of them that I hang out with, all but one of them went to school for some sort of entertainment. Uh, my best friend also went for filmmaking. Uh, one of my other best friends went for sound design. Uh, another friend went for uh, makeup. So like I was like, well, this is the making of a production company. Let's get that started. <laughs> and so we just kind of progressed and people have come and people have gone go and gone. And that's kind of where we're at now. So 10 years out, it's kind of evolved into something different. There's no original members at this point. Uh, <laughs> like a metal band. It's like, yeah, exactly, like me, a metal yeah. band, right? Yeah, just like a metal band, there's no original members. It's, we're, we're the inflames of independent uh, filmmaking. So I feel like that's normal because like, filmmaking, it is. It's definitely uh, very entrepreneurial in how much uh, bootstrapping you have to do. Yeah. So like, it does burn people out. <laughs> So I can understand going to school and then just shifting. Yeah. Have you had a similar experience to that, Jeanette, with, I have, with art actually. school and film? And- <laughs> I've worked on some very difficult productions where for a while there is like, you know what? I'm just going to do something else for a little while. And that's when I started blogging <clears throat> and now podcasting. And now that I have uh, expanded out that way, I'm actually getting back into film. <laughs> It's kind of funny how they all start to complement each other eventually, you know? Yeah. They totally do. So that's that's actually one of my questions is like, how do you feel your storytelling changes in each medium? Um, at least with podcasting, I'm not as strict with myself on how well I'm telling it. Like, I'll listen back to the podcast and I'm like, oh, you're an asshole. Um, just like the way that I'll tell things or if I say like too much or something of that I was going to say like um, something <laughs> similar to that. Um, so like that changes, but like um, whenever see there, I do it. So, um, so have you gotten more relaxed with it then? Yeah. I, have Cause I, I found relaxed. that was myself. You know I mean? Like the first year and a half, two years of, of doing this, um, I was very, very anal. I would go yeah. through and I'd get rid of all the, you knows and ums and, you know, and you like, and, uh, <laughs> And, yeah. and then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'll do that for the first 10 minutes because then people just don't pay attention to it anymore. <laughs> anyway. And then I was like, you know what? Hell with it. I, I've got, and I don't think I do it quite as much anymore. And I think you probably will say the same thing. You get better at it as time yeah. goes on. And rather than using your crutch words, I find it better to pause. It's mm-hmm. more compelling and it's easier to edit if I decide I want to edit, yeah. to edit out yeah. a two second gap than you know, look for a bunch of ums and that kind of thing. But I, I got, I got to the point at one point where I knew what an um looked like. 
visually. <laughs> oh, you with the waveform? waveform? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, that's yeah. funny. I do the same thing with my YouTube videos where, um, <laughs> where um, I will <laughs> just go back and edit all of those things out because those I just want to be like as snappy as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I don't know, I feel a little less nervous on podcasting, probably because I have nothing to do with the editing. <laughs> yeah, it's all on me. Yep. Yeah. I, so if anyone sounds like an asshole, it's my fault. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Dan. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I, I did the same thing on the first, like, 10, 15 episodes of uh, Sinister Dreamcast. I was um, I was going through and taking, like, a two and a half hours because I was listening to the yeah. whole thing. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. People can just kind of deal with it if they don't like it. I'll just get better at the production part as opposed to fixing in post. Yes. And that's yep. kind of where I went from there. So much easier to fix it at the source. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a big proponent of that on the film set, too. Um, mm-hmm. Famous last words is uh, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll say we'll do that in post because, yeah, there's some things that are just easier and yeah. better to do in post. But I'm like, no, we're not going to try to fix it in post. So... So if you have a particularly difficult scene, mm-hmm. how many takes do you like to get? Um, a lot of times what I'll do, because I've been using a lot of the same actors um, and they don't, they're not necessarily <laughs> off book um, <laughs> at the time. I will rehearse the shit out of it um, mm-hmm. and then we'll go for that. Um, one of my actors, every single time without fail he tends to take six takes at the first time that we're shooting. I don't know why he always takes six takes. Um, Ideally. So you've stopped using film for the first five. Oh yeah. (laughs) If I could shoot film, I would love to shoot film because I'm, I'm trained in film, but like it's not cost effective in any way whatsoever. And you can make digital look so film like these days. I mean, a true film aficionado is going to know the difference. Yeah. But someone like me, I'm not going to be able to tell. That's the reason why I, well, I try to, fo- that's why I try to focus on the storytelling. Right. So it's not a big, like you don't, don't use film as a crutch, I guess. Right. This is the way it is. But so, yeah, like I, I try, I try to shoot things as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Cause usually people are on a time. Like I have mm-hmm. to usually make my days in six hours. Which is really, really f- wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. No matter how much how much yelling or or shit I say in pre production where I'm like, don't schedule shit for this day. We're shooting and I'd like to take my time. Inevitably I will get a text or a call or uh-huh. when we show up yeah. when we're setting up equipment, someone's like, I gotta be out of here by two. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that kind of switches things around a bit. Yeah. But that happens when you're doing it like, I'm sure you're not paying anyone. So when it's all no. volunteer based, it's all up in the air. Yeah. I, I mean, even when you're paying people, like um, for my web series, we actually had a little bit of a budget. So we like paid our actors a little bit and, uh, you know, our crew. And there was a little bit less of the, okay, bye. But it still happened. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks. That's awesome. So ideally, I like to have like two to three takes. That's how mm-hmm. I'd like to get it down. Um, if I'm kind I kind of go with like the whole Scorsese mentality where it's like, I have two, three shots that I absolutely have to get. The rest of the day is negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I try to keep things simple um, whenever I'm directing things with the exception of like, like I said, there's a handful of scenes within the, uh, the short or the movie that I want to get. Um, and generally speaking, I'm a big fan of, uh, doing long takes 
Um, I really like doing long uh, tracking shots. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I think it adds, um, though it isn't, and I will argue people all the time that film is not supposed to be like storytelling is not supposed to be realistic. That's we live in the real world. When I go see a movie, I don't want to be in the real world. Um, But it has like a really natural, uh, it it, it lets the actors uh, perform a little bit more naturally whenever um, they do it that way. Yeah. You want it to feel real enough that people aren't like, so that people can suspend disbelief essentially. Yeah. And also too, when you do a long take like that, it puts pressure on the actors at least I found yeah. uh, to take shit more seriously. Yeah. They take things they way more seriously. Do. Yeah. It's like, Oh, so you fuck that up. Well, guess what? The seven minute take, we got to go back to one. So, and then <laughs> everyone will turn on the actor who fucks up. So like that adds the pressure to it. And then I'll usually adjust with direction, which the number one direction I tend to give is take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that usually fixes it. And everyone also feels like really accomplished whenever we get it done. Yeah. So like there's that aspect to it as well. That's really cool. I think that's really smart. Um, there are definitely some directors that I've worked with where they felt that they were having such a hard time with the cast and the crew. And there was so much like hubbub going on. They're just like, you know what? We're not even going to cut in between takes. We're going to go back to one and keep going because it's all one take. And then that just gets everyone more and more and more focused as you go because you don't even have a chance to breathe. Yeah. Um, that was for a particularly rowdy bunch. So it worked. (laughs) (laughs) So since you work with a lot of the same actors and uh, crew, do you start writing your scripts based on the people that you know you're going to be working with? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there are certain, it, the short films a little bit more so um this time around for the project that we're crowdfunding death of the party um whenever i wrote the third draft which was the most recent one um i started adding isms from the actors that i kn- knew because at that point we had 100% it was completely cast what's an ism um <laughs> um it's, it's essentially something that they say normally oh okay um like <clears throat> excuse me my um my head uh antagonist in real life he says well fuck me right like that's <laughs> one of his things is whenever something doesn't ah. go right he says well fuck me right so i threw that in there ah. uh, and i did so that- it comes across more natural because yeah. it's something they say that's very interesting yeah and i did that with a couple other of the actors that i knew that were going to be um that they have like essentially catchphrases like it's a fucking sitcom. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of how I approached it. See, that's kind of cool because as someone who has not written for that medium before, I now understand, like you hear all the time people saying, well, I totally wrote that for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a lot of what that is, is isms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of isms. It's also mannerisms. I mean, that uh, whenever- you get to know that person. Yeah. So you want to write to their natural state to make it easier for them so that they're not working so hard to act as it is. Okay. And that also comes into play if you're writing directing. Um, Because there's um, some people, whenever they read my scripts, they don't understand everything. Um, But I'm like, no, I know exactly. I know exactly what I'm going to tell the actor to get the performance that I want in that situation. So like then you also have whenever you're a writer director you the directing also has like a certain rewrite value to it as well kind of oh, okay. like with editing where there's another draft with editing as well but mm-hmm. I don't edit so <laughs> so your editing is the directing you're editing yeah. with your team on the site 
that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> actually wow that sounds crazy to me yeah but i'm just a writer writer so <laughs> <laughs> uh, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because <clears throat> your actors totally bring a whole different element to it and sometimes things just whoop go like full other direction that you weren't expecting. Yeah, I love when that happens. I actually yeah. love when that. I'm not like I'm dictatorial with certain people. Like if I know a certain actor, I'm dictatorial. Like they'll come up with an idea. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Sorry, <laughs> like no, no. And then it, it's it's created problems a couple times where I, like someone will come up to me, like an actor that I know that um, if I'm not dictatorial with, they're gonna go off on a fucking tangent that's not what I want. And they'll come up to me and say, what if I do this? And I go, no. And then another actor will come up and say, what if we do this? I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And he's like, what the fuck, dude? And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's a good reason for that. And, and then I'll usually point to the other person's performance and go, that's why. And they're like, okay, I understand now. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, so this, I feel like you've already answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Out of all of the forms of storytelling you use, what's your favorite? Um... Uh, it, it's probably, it's a mix between writing and directing. Like I see that as like one form of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, I, I like the solid, I like being alone to write things, but then it also is nice to have like that contrast where like I have to be around with people and deal with them whenever I'm directing. So like, I kind of see it like as one in the same. So like, I guess that's my favorite way of storytelling. Yeah. There's definitely a difference between the written word and, and, and what, comes out eventually mm-hmm. um i mean i know that from doing a lot of audio production work that whenever i write that i write two different ways i mean if i'm writing a story to be read it's different than if i'm writing a story to be read aloud mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um there's a balance between the two i think you can you can definitely get to the point where you've written a story that works in both in both fashions and that's ultimately what you try to strive for especially with audiobook production being such a big thing now where mm-hmm. you know a lot of people listen to audible uh, a lot of people listen to podcasts and things like that so y- you want it to be able to support both both forms yeah. you know because there's still the folks that like to sit down and read a book and i think it's a different experience like if i read a book i can listen to an audio production of that book and it's it's actually enhances or changes the experience mm-hmm. um yeah totally and, and a good example might be, I don't know if either of you are, are Hulu watchers, but mm-hmm. um, they had their first original, which is based off of Stephen King's uh, 112360, yeah. um, And I, my first introduction to that was I listened to the audiobook because I used to have this huge commute to work back and forth. So I was listening to that. Um, and then I later read the book and then I saw the, you know, the adapta- adaptation to film. Um, and it, each one is its own experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's done right, they all play together. You never yeah. watch. If it's done right, you don't watch the movie and go, well, that sucked because in the book, there's obviously going to be differences. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's that's the key is to try to get them all to work kind of in their own fashion where you can experience all of them and still enjoy it. I mean, that also brings up an interesting point in like 
storytelling in different mediums. Like, I mean, how I'm sure everyone has gotten to an argument with someone at some point where they're like, oh, the book's better. Well, like, motherfucker, it's a different medium. <laughs> like, of course, yeah, of course, you think the book is better because you're a selfish prick who only cares about your own vision. This is someone else's vision. Like, I'll get in that with uh, Potterheads all the time because yeah. they'll complain about, like, the Goblet of Fire. They're like, well, the, the Wizard World Cup was like so much more of that story. I'm like, I don't want to watch a Quidditch match for 45 minutes. Right. And the producer doesn't want to pay for the Quidditch match for 45 right. minutes. Like, so like that, that, that goes, that gets sacrificed. Like, have you seen, and like, and I'll tell them like, you've seen the book. It's the fucking Bible. Like try translating that into two and a half hours. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, do you have any uh, other general questions? Because I think what we'll do is we'll take a little break and then uh, maybe we'll come back and talk in depth about your your Indiegogo campaign okay. and the project that you're working on and, and that sort of thing. Okay. But did you have any anything else, Jeanette? Um, I have one for at the very end, but I definitely want to hear more about your uh, your Kickstarter and everything awesome. that you're working on currently. Cool. This is my music box. Can you hear the music? It plays for you. The music is calling for you to make a choice. My building has nine floors, and each leads to a very different place. My lift can go places you'd never expect, and it's waiting for you. Come along and take a ride on the lift. Find the lift at victoriaslift.com and also in iTunes at itunes.victoriaslift.com. Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. Error 404. Error 404. I mean, actually, we're back from our break, but Dan has lost his voice. So we're going to get back into talking to Nick about his upcoming Kickstarter. I didn't completely. Well, I lost it, but I'm borrowing this one, and it's uh, <laughs> not quite as compelling as the other one that I usually have. So, Nick. Yes. Tell us about Death of the Party. Okay. Um, Death of the Party is a dark comedy that I wrote um, that was based off of a web series that failed. Uh, uh, <laughs> we can, which we can get into that, because that's a story in and of itself. Um, but it's about um, these two lifelong friends named Monty and Eddie, who um, they're throwing a party because uh, after college, they kind of lost contact with a lot of their friends. And this is an opportunity for them to all get together and, you know, catch up. And um, in the process of getting ready for the party, they um, they encounter uh, a shadowy figure that attacks them. And um, they think that they killed someone. So um, they take the body back uh, home to uh, hide it so they can bury it afterwards. And then um, through paranoia and guilt and not wanting through paranoia and guilt, not wanting to go to jail, Monty continues to keep killing people because he's afraid he keeps thinking that everyone's figured out that they've killed someone so to try to cover up his tracks he's then try uh killing other people and it just kind of devolves from there that's I'm fantastic in. that is fantastic i can't wait to see that so <laughs> <laughs> um are you working with the same group of actors are you bringing in some new people what's um, your process going forward yes 
Uh, it's both, actually. Um, cool. uh, from the web series, uh, Tyson Sears, who played Eddie's coming back. Justin Papillardo, who's playing Monty's coming back. Uh, Melissa Bell, who played Poe's coming back. Um, Samantha Swope, who plays Raven's coming back. And Emily Cordes, who plays Lenny's coming back. And then I recasted um, the role, uh, other roles in the, um, which are the uh, Mark, who's the broiest guy. Um, I got Brad Wachovi. I can never pronounce his last name. Uh, Brad. He's a good guy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Welcome, Brad. Brad. Unpronounceable last name. Sorry, Brad, if you're listening. Um, he's playing Mark, the kind of the douchey guy. Then I have um, Samwise Riley. He's playing um, the role of Alan. And um, I have um, Leah Ray, who's playing um, a role of uh, Molly. And uh, local comedian Zach Markle, who's playing another role called Roddy. So all, oh. most of the names are because the original web series was called Nevermore, the series. So... I just transported most of the names because most of the names were Poe references. Cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's the reason why they're all kind of weird. <clears throat> I thought they sounded familiar and <laughs> yeah. now that makes sense. Yeah. So what are you doing um, to prepare for your Indiegogo campaign? Um, mostly doing podcasts. <laughs> hey, there <laughs> uh, doing, you go. Yeah. Doing podcasts, uh, talking to people, um, just kind of hunkering down. My best friend's cutting uh, our video right now, so he's working on that. We did um, to because podcasting is like such a natural part of Sinister Dream Productions at this point. Um, for our crowdfunding video, we killed two birds with one stone, where we shot us podcasting, and oh, then okay. for the Indiegogo, uh, Joe's cutting it down to five minutes for the Indiegogo video. But on um, uh, April 11th, every single show that's on the Sinister Dreamcast Network will have the full podcast on their feed. So you oh, can okay. also listen to it that way. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, that'll come out before this episode comes out, I think, right? I believe so. I think that's what Dan told me. Yeah, we'll, okay, cool. we'll probably be coming out uh, towards the end of April because we have one additional episode with Nelson. Um, mm-hmm. We had uh, Gwendolyn Keist in studio. Um, and then of course yours. Yay. And when's your, Yay. when's your Indiegogo launch? Uh, four eleven. Okay. So April 11, but we're going cause, uh, Indiegogo, you can go like nine, 90 days. So we're going through June. Awesome. So nice. There's another plus for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause what Kickstarter is 30 days. Right? Yeah. You're done after that 30 days. Good luck. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, so folks, if you're listening, uh, go check it out cause it'll be up by now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I don't. We don't have the URL right now because uh, no, I'll be launching okay. it because we're recording this on a Saturday, and I'll launch it. You know, get it ready Sunday. But yeah, if you just search "Death of the Party," it will probably be on. I'm sure if you also search my name, Nick Casino, or Sinister Dream Productions, you could probably find it that way too. Yeah, we'll also add it to the show notes so people can find it once it's up. Yes, yes. only they can click on it. Yeah. So if you're listening at the gym right now, whenever you open your phone and you look at the show notes at ninthstory.com forward slash four zero four you will find links to all this fun stuff yeah you will not find my voice there though <laughs> 404 dan's voice that's correct <laughs> so tell us more about sinister dream the network oh the sinister dream cast network yeah um mm-hmm. we got five and a half shows right now um oh. We got one for every day of the week and one that comes out every third sun Saturday, so that's why we say five and a half. Uh, okay. Um, uh, the guy who plays Monty, Justin Papillardo, he has a podcast called Pappiness is a Warm Gun, 
which is a general um, discussion slash music podcast. Um, he has like As a Beatles fan. I like the title. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I uh, I brought it up to him later, like a year and a half later. I'm like, dude, we should have called it "Happiness" as a warm pun. Ah, <laughs> like nice. really, just, like the look on his face was like, oh, we totally should. That sucks. Um, I'm still trying to convince him to change it. Um, <laughs> um, it's a re- the rechristening. Yeah, that's, that's your episode title. But uh, he has um, two co-hosts that are kind of Chris Dillon, who's a local musician. Um, and, uh, Zach Markle, who I mentioned earlier, he's also on there on a fairly regular basis. Uh, Tuesdays is that's the spirit, uh, with Leah Ray who plays Monty, Monty. They, um, they talk about booze. Um, that's pretty much the sum of it. Uh, it's her, one of her best friends, Tyler Stein and my girlfriend, Juliana Hawk. Okay. Uh, they rotate, um, every other week as co-hosts with her. Oh, okay. And they drink something new every week. Uh, I think she's 11 episodes in. I've been on there. I did a Guinness episode. Nice. Um, they did a whiskey sampler. Uh, they've done um, Angry Orchard and stuff like that. Nice. Um, Wednesdays is my girlfriend, Juliana Hawks, a web uh podcast with her best friend kirsten mcginley okay uh called uh scenario store news which is essentially tumblr as a podcast so like <laughs> if you if you like tumblr you'll probably like this podcast that sounds awesome yeah <laughs> um then thursdays is the insert movie reference here podcast with me and my best friend joe that i've mentioned a couple times mm-hmm. um we will do movie reviews if we get out to the movies because he's in la so it's hard for him to get around mm-hmm. um as well as he just kind of avoids going to the movies opening weekend in LA because it's just a whole oh, different yeah. thing there. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll do spotlights on directors. We'll do spotlights on genres. Um, the most recent episode at the time of this recording is um, we just did an episode about sci-fi. Nice. Um, yeah. And then the week before that, I gave my review of Batman v Superman, which I stand behind the title, which is Batman v Superman Utterly Watchable. Uh, and then uh, Fridays is our original flagship Sinister Dreamcast, which uh, Dan will be on uh, in May. Um, and uh, we do we kind of do different episodes every week. We'll have a general discussion episode. We're now um, uh, starting to bring on guests on a more regular basis. Actually, Steve Fullen's going to be recording with us on Monday. Oh, I love Steve. He's yeah, awesome. Steve's awesome. Um, and then uh, we also do every month we do what I call pop analysis, which is we take a movie, we watch it, we take notes, and then we just kind of break it down. Um, it goes one of two ways. Either the movie that we liked, we like more, or the movie that we liked, we're like, this fucking sucks. Um, it's like reading a book that you used to love when you were a kid, and you're like, wow, this is terrible. Yeah, we did an episode on Dark Knight, and like we all went in going like, we like Dark Knight. And like I even preface it with, I'm like, listen, this is the best Batman movie that is available right now at the time of this recording, but there's a lot of problems. And like we, you can hear it in our voices that we're all just like, we gave up at a certain point. <laughs> like we're just like, I, I think at one point I'm like, yeah, I stopped watching, but I've watched enough that I can tell you, and it just kind of gets dumb. Uh, <laughs> so... It's like somebody pointing out a flaw that you didn't know was oh, there. Yeah. 
You're like, oh, well, I guess she's not that pretty. Yeah. Oh, no, like no. One of the things I've noticed is like Nolan's movies do not hold up to like rewatchability. Like they're not very rewatchable. You start watching and then like there starts to become chinks. And like at first you're like, oh yeah, sure. Like you know everyone's mortal sort of thing. But like as you keep watching them, those chinks become like bigger and bigger and bigger, and it just kind of ruins the movie a little bit. <laughs> it's the growing plot hole. Yeah. And then um. Every third Saturday on the Scenario Store news feed, uh, there is uh, Black Emporium news, which is about Dragon Age. Ah, that's fantastic. Jeanette? I did actually want to go back to um, Death of the Party real quick. And I wanted to ask you about like where that story came from. Okay. Um, Death of the Party, like I said, it's okay. There's a big evolution with this. Um, Death of the Party started out way back as I wanted to do a short film adaptation of a Edgar Allan Poe story, Cask of Amontillado. Ah, a good one. Yeah. And so I wrote it out, the first episode of Nevermore, because we were able to complete two episodes. Um, one is available online, which is the first episode called Midnight Jury. The second episode is only available right now on one of our compilation DVDs called uh, Weak and Weary. And, um, so I wrote that and I'm like, I really like these characters. Like, I think they're interesting characters. Well, web series are a thing. Like they, uh, this was around 2009, 2010-11. Um, and I'm like, web series are starting to become a thing. Like, this seems like something that would be cool to do. Like it's writing TV without having to worry about TV executives. Right. Um, so I'm like, well, what if we expand this to a web series? So we'll do that. And um, I cast people and everything. Um, we shot we shot one day um, on this is this is you'll find in this story. This is a reoccurring theme. Um, we shot the first day, the second day. We're all waiting around. I was living at my dad's place at the time. We were all waiting for everyone to show up so we could go on location because the location that we have is um, it's in a neighborhood in Pittsburgh called Sheridan. Um okay. And it's city property, so as long as you're not, you don't need permits to shoot on it because as long as you're not blocking traffic. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're all waiting around, and the guy who originally played Monty, who I don't really talk about his name, um, he fucking- We never mention We don't mention him. He's an inside joke among all Sinister (laughs) Dreamers, but but I don't, whenever I'm on a podcast or whatnot, I don't say his name, but he flips shit on me. Just completely Uh flips shit on me, just- blaming me because we tried to do a kickstarter um the kickstarter didn't go over well like i i think i mentioned earlier in the yeah. podcast um he blamed me solely for the kickstarter failing um god that, damn it can't you control the minds of more yeah, people uh it was completely my fault i'm not gonna pay him i told uh all this other stuff like bunch of uh like just flipped out on me in front of everybody um i oh. Oh, I flipped back. Don't worry. It's not like I sat there and t- took it. I think he he thought I was going <laughs> to kick his ass. Um, and I almost did. Uh, so then he just goes and he doesn't. The, the motherfucker didn't drive. And he just started walking in the, uh, the borough that I live in, Crafton, which is not. If you don't know where you're going, it, you can't get back into town very easily. No. So he just walked off. Um, <sighs> so great. Um, he called me and told me that like, oh, it's not you. It's not you. It's, I, I'm having problems with my girlfriend and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. Um, he was very disappointed that I didn't Google him. Oh, um, oh that sounds naughty. 
Yeah, which also became an inside joke among Sinister Dreamers. Uh, hey, Google me. Um, uh, and then I was like, well, listen, you know, you go deal with your shit. And then if things work out, we can work out. We can work together later and at some point. Then I found out that this is just something he does. Oh. He just goes on like um, Tyson was taking uh, classes at uh, Pittsburgh Filmmakers and he was just sitting there like, you know, between classes just waiting and he's like, and this one guy, he's like, hey, I'm sorry, but do you know this guy named da 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 and uh, and he's like, oh, do I know him? Uh, <laughs> and he's just like, he just like he, I hired him to do my short film, and he just blew up at me. He just just blew up on me and just stomped off, and just like this is just what he does. Apparently, it's one of his isms. Yeah, it's Aww. it's his isms. Yeah, <laughs> um, so much so that he stopped using his um, uh, his stage name because he had. Oh. Yeah, he stopped using his stage name recently because I'm pretty sure he just pissed so many people off that he just burned enough bridges. Wow. Um, Not only have you ruined your real name, you also ruined your stage name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, So that was, that was obstacle number one. Uh, Then, uh, so we recast, I put Justin was originally supposed to play the character of Alan. So uh, we shifted him into Monty and I recasted um, uh, Alan with someone else. And then um, we were supposed to shoot a parting scene, uh, a party scene, Two o'clock in the morning before that day, I got a call from the guy who was originally supposed to play Mark. He's bailing on me at two o'clock oh. in the morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, so it, ultimately what happened was I had to end up stepping into the role of Mark because there was no one else and I'm not an actor. Um, <laughs> I'm not comfortable in there. I'd rather be telling people what to do than to right. being told what to do. Even when I'm directing myself, I'm just like, I get in arguments in my head. Just like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Um, <laughs> it just, I, I don't like it. It makes me feel dirty. It's, um, it's really hard to direct yourself. Like, yeah. There are very few people who can do it su- successfully. Blah. Yeah. Talking's hard. Yeah. You usually have to start as an actor, not a director. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened. And then things were going along okay. I was having a lot of scheduling conflicts because people have things that they have to do. Um, people have play, uh, you know, they're trying to do theater. Um, so that that's a huge problem because we could really only shoot on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And then I go over my editor's house, Katie's house, and I'm there to watch the third episode, and she goes so. Where's this footage? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, there's there's missing footage. And I'm like, no. And what happened was a six, seven months earlier, my director of photography, Scott, was moving out of his house on Allentown. Um a neighborhood, not yeah. the not um not the actual town. Yeah, the and, one that's down that way. Yeah. Um and because there was five or six people living in this house and they were all moving out, the door was always open. Well, someone walked into their ho- his house, stole his camcorder, which also had a tape of footage in it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. That yeah. is so awful. So part of the, the funding for this Indiegogo is going to be security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a big guy. So not only- Fuck you up if you try to take the camera. Yeah, not, only did Scott, <laughs> not only did Scott lose his camcorder, he also lost the sixth tape of- the, uh, of Nevermore, which ended up being 
episode three that is the most expository episode, but explains the backstory between the two main characters and why they're uh, such good friends. Oh, and man. God bless Katie. She spent six months trying to make it work without the footage and she just couldn't do it. <sighs> um, and at that point we had to, we kept going like we, we just kept accruing footage. Uh, at that point we had shot the vast majority of episode five. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that happened, I was just like, we're done. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't officially say we're done to anyone, <laughs> but in my head I'm like, we're done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it's just, it's not going to happen anymore and like we started getting into podcasting at that point so i could dangle that in front of people and distract them while we don't work on nevermore uh yeah and that kind of thing so um and we just started diversifying we started doing some internet stuff we started doing more podcasting we we went back to doing short films which everyone kind of missed doing also um and then a year ago Roughly, um, I was at work and I was just thinking because that's all I can do there. And um, <laughs> I have a very tedious job. Um, it's tremendous. Uh, and I can't remember exactly why Nevermore popped into my head, but um, I was like, well, I could make it work as a feature, couldn't I? Because I also wrote another feature called Matthias between Nevermore and Death of the Party, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a spiritual warfare script. And we budgeted and it was like low ball, like bare minimum, it's $2,200,000. Like, yeah, it's, it's, that's low ball. That's with that. So I was like, well, that's not happening. Um, If you go to our website and watch Azazel, there's a short film called Azazel. That's actually a scene from Matthias. Um, So uh, I was. What's that website? SinisterDream.com. Fantastic. Very simple. Um, (laughs) And. I just was thinking about Nevermore, and I'm like, because well, I still want to do a feature. Like, I'm almost, as of right now, I'm almost 30, and I want to be able to get a feature out. Yeah. And I was like, well, what about Nevermore? Like, if I rewrite this script, I could make this really, really doable and really, really easy because, like, it doesn't need to be all over the place. That was one of the problems that I ran into with Nevermore is that I just kind of wrote and then worried about locations later. Yeah. Um, which was dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because also on top of that, too, the main location that we were using for Monty and Eddie's house, uh, my head of crew, my crew lead, was that was his place. And then his other roommates just decided one day that they're done and they're moving out. So he had to move out, too. So that was like, well, there you go. That aptly titled, Nick. Way to go on that. Um <laughs> So I started working it in my head and I started writing it in my notebook and I'm like, I can make this work. Like I could make this work in one location. I could make this work as a feature length script. And I didn't say anything to anyone. I started writing out a treatment and whenever I looked at them, I'm like, this is very doable. And I brought it up to everyone at our our monthly meeting. And I really thought it was going to be, fuck, no, we're not going to do that again. Like, what are you thinking, Nick? (laughs) So... Like, even whenever I, I, I had the slide up on the keynote, it was never more the movie question mark. Like, does everyone want to do this? And it was a resounding, fuck yeah, we want to do this. Like, everyone really wanted to fit. Everyone that was still part of the company that was a part of Nevermore really wanted to fucking finish this movie. Yeah. Um. So everyone got on board. I wrote the first draft. Uh, and then I, 
I, I was really surprised I was able to get some of the people to come back. Uh, Emily lives in New York now. Um, she went to Columbia and now she's like really integrated in the, um, the New York, um, uh, theater group, uh, uh-huh. theater groups. Uh, she agreed to come back. Um, Tyson went off and got his, uh, started working in New York too, but he still lives in Pittsburgh. Um, he's been auditioning all over the place. He said he'll come back. I, I really thought I was going to get a big no from Tyson. Uh, but Tyson's like, no, I'll come back. I'm like, fantastic. Uh, (laughs) and, um, and then I just started, then there was, there were certain people that were part of the original Nevermore cast that were, um, problematic, not necessarily with the way that they, um, they acted or anything like that it was just scheduling yeah and it was just it wasn't i also didn't feel like i was getting as good a performance they weren't responding to my directing i guess is a good way to put it so i'm like all right we're gonna i'm gonna recast these characters uh first of all i'm definitely casting marcus fuck that i'm not gonna be on screen um (laughs) and i i don't look the part i don't look the part i'm very nerdy looking and it just I don't feel like I was very threatening. I was like, I don't like, I watch it and I'm like, I'm not believable as a douchebag. Like I may be a douchebag, but I'm not that kind of douchebag. Yeah, There's a different, a different variety of douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the, you know, like fucking energy drink where my Ed Hardy t-shirt kind of douchebag. And that's really what I was looking for. So I recast that. And then, cause I, the, the Mark was difficult because you have to find someone who can look like a douchebag, but isn't a douchebag. Right. right. Yeah. You and, don't want the real life version of yeah. that. And like Brad's Brad's the sweetest fucking dude. He's such a nice guy and he does. And um, I've seen because he um, he also has his own production company and I've seen the stuff that he does. And um, he just had a, a short film that uh, called Selfie oh. that uh, uh, was getting a lot of hits on the on the YouTubes. And it's really good. It's very simple. Um, he's a great filmmaker, too. Uh, and he agreed to do it. Um, Leah, we met through um, Justin was on a uh, short film. And uh, she was in it too, and she was one of the best parts of that short film. Um, Justin wasn't great in it, and I told him that, and I told him why, and I know exactly why because I've worked with Justin a shit ton. And I'm like, they didn't direct you, did they? Like, I just asked him. Yeah. He's like, no, I didn't get any direction. I'm like, can tell. Uh, <laughs> so I had him contact Leah, and she came aboard to do the 48 hour film project with us last year, and she just kind of stuck around. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, and then um, Samwise, he worked with Sammy on the JCCP, okay, uh, the local shadow cast here, mm-hmm. uh, Rocky Horror Shadow Cast, and he wanted to diversify, so he auditioned, he got it, and then, um, excuse me, Zach is um, our head of post production, Katie, her uh, boyfriend, and okay. he's uh, he's been doing local, he's been doing stand up too, and he wanted to kind of diversify, and he auditioned, and I'm like, you're doing something different because it's a kind of ga- against type. Um, because Roddy's also not like a super likable character. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the original Nevermore script, he was uh, he was a nice guy, but I changed it in uh, Death of Party, and he's kind he's he's a fedora. If you're familiar with the f- terminology, he I I wrote him as a fedora, um, and it's very against Zach's type because Zach's a big teddy bear, and um, but he did something interesting with it, and I think I can direct him to do something interesting. So nice. Awesome. Very I told cool. you it was a long story. No, that's a great story. <laughs> it, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be fun to see it actually 
get funded and become something that it's meant to be. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that's why it didn't work out last time, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm kind of hoping because I'm a big fan of like karma and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I'm really kind of hoping that that's what it is. It's just like the powers that be were just like, no, this is the wrong format for this here. Or it's just it not the right time. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and, and, and think about how much you've learned since then and the fact that you have – you know, a podcast that's popular, you have fans, you, you have a built-in fan base to get this launched and, and funded, yeah. I think too, which is really powerful. Yeah. I, I, I feel like just as an outside observer who's just met you, but I feel like all of your building blocks are in the right place this time for you to actually make the feature version of this. Good. I'm glad that someone thinks so. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll support that because this is the first time I'm meeting Nick as well. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a compelling story. It's, it's interesting mm-hmm. where you went to get to where you are. And, uh, you know, the fact that you have people that are, you know, have moved on to other things and are still willing to come back to the project mm-hmm. speaks very highly of, the story and the marketability of it, I think. Yeah, um, I actually got most of the cast, with the exception of one, uh, one person based off of the first draft. It's awesome. Which the first draft wasn't good. Nice. I'll be the first one to say, I'm like, <laughs> mm, no, that was words on a draft. That was that was very much the term words on a draft. <laughs> uh, words on a page draft, rather, I should say. So I was I was kind of proud of that. I'm like, if you like this, you're gonna love it when it's done. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a really good starting point. Absolutely yeah. is. So the uh, the website. Yes. SinisterDream.com is where you can find all of our stuff. Okay. And you're going to have, a obviously, a big prominent link off to the Indiegogo. Yes. Um, yeah, it's going to be on the front page. Uh, my girlfriend's our webmaster. Awesome. So she's going to be putting that right. You'll just have to go to SinisterDream.com, and it'll be right there. Perfect. So nice. right on the homepage. We'll give you a nice link to that as well. Uh, where can folks find you if they want to talk to you on uh, Facebook, Twitter? What's what's your your favorite medium? Um, Facebook, uh, which I saw Jeanette, you just friended, uh, you just liked our Facebook page, so thanks. I just liked pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, Facebook dot com slash Sinister Dream Pro is our Facebook. Uh, that one's updated the very the most um, okay. by far. Um, and then we uh, we have an Instagram, uh, Sinister Dream PR. Um, the same thing for the Twitter at Sinister Dream PR. That one hasn't been updated as much as I would like it. Um, if you're interested, we have a Snapchat also Sinister Dream PR. I don't know that that was one of those things that we all logged into it, and I don't know who's doing what on there, if anything. <laughs> so like Snapchat, I don't. I'm a visual person, but like Snapchat is just like foreign to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't understand it. <laughs> just like good, but it doesn't stick around. Like people can't keep watching it. Okay. All right. Um, I'm putting all this effort in, right? Okay. Um, yeah. And then, um, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Sinister Dreamist with no e in sinister. Um, yeah, I think that's it. and then yeah, the podcasts are on sinisterdream.com as well. Awesome. And then, of course, the show notes for this show will be www.ninthstory.com forward slash 404. And you'll find links to all this fun stuff. But not my voice. Jeanette, did did you have one last question you said you wanted for the end? Because now I'm just burning to know what it is. Oh, I did. (laughs) Me too, actually. (laughs) It's probably not as as exciting as I would like it to be. But if you were given a million dollars to write and direct your own project, what would you make? Okay, um... That's a great question. Probably Matthias. 
I'd probably want to write that. I also have another idea that I want to do, uh, which is a tri- time travel movie. Um, that I don't really want to talk about it much more than saying it's a time travel movie. Nice. Yeah. Um, but well, those that concept has been done a lot of times. So if you have a unique take on it, I understand why you want to keep that under wraps. Yeah, I mean, I'll I, I'll tell you guys after. Yeah, if you're fine. interested in it. Um, but um, yeah, it's like probably Matthias. I really wanted to do like. I want to do a spiritual warfare movie. I kind of want to, I want to vomit out my view of like spirituality and religion out into the world and just nice. kind of, cause the, the overall theme is just like faith is what's important mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the script. It's not like, it's not how you do it. It's just that you have it. Yeah. And I kind of want to, I want to put that out there. So awesome. that would, that would probably be the movie that I make. Cool. Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me very yeah. much. It's been Thank a lot you. of fun. Good.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.